0: Save the day, October 15th, Farmers Bank & Trust presents Oktoberfest on the line. You won't want to miss it. Exclusive beer garden with premium tasting flights, gourmet hot dogs, sauerkrauts and mustards, kindergarten with a bouncy house and face painting and other kids' activities. There will also be local vendors, a German car show and more. Live entertainment with local performers including the Texarkana Regional Chorale and Grammy Award winning polka band Brave Combo. Kids 12 and under are free. Saturday, October 15th is Oktoberfest on the line. Hello and welcome to On The Line. I'm Carl Richter. Texarkana native Carl Finch founded Brave Combo more than 40 years ago. Yeah, it's a polka band. But as you'll hear, Brave Combo is more than that. The group stands for independent thinking and creativity free from peer pressure. You could say the Brave Combo philosophy is that there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. And it all started in a Woolworth store in downtown Texarkana. Brave Combo will be the musical headliner for Main Street Texarkana's Oktoberfest on the Line on Saturday, October 15th, downtown. Here's my conversation with Carl Finch. Joining me is Carl Finch of Brave Combo. Hi, Carl. Hey,
1: Carl. How you doing?
0: Good. Uh, it's our first ever double Carl episode, so it's, it's a real <laughs> milestone. Uh, so You've you
1: got you have the cool spelling. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is with a K, right?
0: Yeah, I keep yeah, trying yeah. the joke cool. that uh, nobody else thinks is funny—that C Carls and K Carls have been at war for centuries, like vampires and werewolves.
1: I mainly have just been envious, <laughs> I just, but, but I was actually named after uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at the time, and uh, uh, I don't think I, I don't think it was at the time I was born, uh, but he was the pastor of the First Baptist Church downtown at Fourth and Pine, uh-huh. and my parents really loved him when he was a preacher there so he moved on and then later on became the president of the southern baptist convention at one point and so he was a carl bates was his name and it was the C. so that was my uh wow that's, that's interesting of mine's a c
0: so uh, tell me about growing up in Texarkana. County. you were born here i understand right
1: at, yeah at uh, st michael's and how long and, did you live here uh until i went to college so like 18 19 i went to one year at uh, Texas County Junior College and then moved to Denton after that. Went to um, uh, two uh, grades. went to Central, a little uh, uh, elementary school called Central, which closed uh, after my third uh, grade. Uh-huh. Then I had to go to Holland Park for the next three years. Then I went to F. Ben Pierce uh, Junior High, then Texas High, which was Right across the street from my house. Oh, okay. wow. Like, like right across the tiger sign faced. our
0: house. <laughs> kind of hard uh, not to have some school spirit, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah, no, you, you cannot have school spirit. <laughs> it's totally possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a big fan base here? Or are there people you're looking forward to seeing when you come to town?
1: Well, I mean, people show up um, and I don't know, really, I I can't really gauge anything anymore because uh, everything boils down to promotion anymore, especially when, uh, you know, social media took over. Uh, Everything's hard to gauge. Right. I still have a ton of friends in Texarkana. I know, I still know a bunch of people there. So I don't know if we're popular or if it's my friends, all my friends do a good job making their relatives come out. You know it could be one or the other. But I mean some of my best friends still live there.
0: Yeah. So for people who may have only heard that you're a polka band, uh huh. How do you describe what Brave Combo is and what you've been doing all these years? You guys first album came out in seventy nine, correct?
1: Yeah. Uh well, uh hey, is the Woolworth store is no longer there on uh, uh East Broad, right? Uh no.
0: That's been turned well, into a bar, I think.
1: Uh, well, just for a, a local connection, uh, I was walking down to that Woolworth store one day and w- walked in. And uh, this was just at the very beginning of hinting that uh, CDs were coming in. Like late 70s, there was some buzz mm-hmm. about uh, things that were changing. And sure enough, a lot of independent uh, uh, record distributors were starting to ditch their albums like crazy. Like a lot of the independent ones were getting rid of stuff. So if you were the kind of person I was, you were finding deals on LPs in the late 70s and early 80s like crazy. Right. So like in maybe 1978, I was visiting and. A Texarkana and went into that Woolworth store, and there was a whole bunch of cutout LPs, like stacks of them. Like the, I'd been in that store many times. They'd never been there before. Wow. Right when you walked into the door, just to the left, just stacks of, of LPs. And sort of all like of them, all of them were polka. So, wow. And almost all of them. And I, you know, Texarkana, I didn't grow up with any polka awareness. There were no polka events ever. There were n- nothing like Oktoberfest and stuff like that, but there was no real polka awareness of any sort on a on a <laughs> on a scale that anybody gathered to appreciate it. Right. So all I knew about polka was that it was uh, a music that was used to, if you wanted to make fun of something, or if you wanted to have a musical joke in whatever you were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I that's all. It was some, it was a funny music, a uh, novelty music that you use just for a uh, comic effect. Right. Uh, and, uh, or the only other connection is that a good friend of mine in high school, his father was a big fan of Lawrence Welk. Mm-hmm. And he had Lawrence Welk and, uh, oh, Lawrence Welk's organist. How was that? Bob Ralston? What, no. Uh, what I, I don't
0: remember. I, I used to watch the. TV show when I was a kid, but I, yeah. I
1: never... And, uh, 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 Oh God, I think it was Bob Ralston, but his, his but so his dad had, uh, Lawrence Welk had friends uh, eight tracks. So we <laughs> wow. love just driving around Texarkana. It just, especially in the odd places, not the normal place, but all the back roads and all the cool parts of downtown that most people like us never ventured into. And we did that all the time. And we would listen to these polka <laughs> eight tracks, and man, I mean, it, it was—we loved it. It was like so cool to drive around Texarkana and uh, the places nobody else went and listen to polka. So maybe that just seared into me. And I was going through all this because there's this kind of a, you know, kind of there's a Texarkana connection in that there was no polka awareness, so I grew up with none. Mm-hmm. And then I walk into this Woolworth store and just they're just there and then I bought a bunch of them like about 50 albums and they were a dollar each. Wow and then uh, over the next like year mean, I just fell in love with the music and just realized oh man no one's everybody's almost everybody in the mainstream is completely wrong about this and I thought what if you just had a rock band? but you played this music Hmm. and is there would there be a way to make it hipper to people who couldn't think for themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, those, that I mean, so what we discovered like pretty much immediately first note we ever played is we weren't the only ones and that we just found, wow, a lot of people really like this stuff and they don't like it because it's a joke. Mm -hmm. You know, they like it because they really, really like the music. And that's just kind of been the guiding light. We wanted, to, we wanted the polka to be the cornerstone music because the whole idea of Brave Combo is to encourage people to think for themselves and to not have to look to other sources to decide if something's okay to listen to or decide whether it's hip or not. You have ears and you have a brain, and you can just let that music do what it will do. And you don't have to look to other people to tell you how to respond to it. And that's what the whole band has been about right there. What's
0: changed over those 40 years? Anything?
1: Over what time?
0: <laughs> <laughs> 40 years.
1: Isn't that right? Oh, by four, oh, my 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What has changed? Yeah. It's more than that now. Man, we're, we're getting on up to 43. Yep. Uh, is that what you're asking?
0: Yeah. What's changed in the band since you guys got started all that time ago? Anything?
1: Well, uh, in a way, nothing. But what we discovered, uh, because we were really lucky, like we put out this little double uh, seven-inch uh, EP, too, and we, it was called uh, mania and it just happened to fall into the hands of a writer for Texas Monthly and he loved it and so that summer and that was our first thing to do is right after the band started he wrote an article in texas monthly one summer about the five things you have to listen to this summer and he chose our little dumb little ep <laughs> as one of those things and um uh, and that was only because we had played a, we were playing a gig in dallas and across the street was um, a party at a a hotel and the the band took a break that was playing the party at the hotel took a break and came across the street and had a drink where we were playing and that band they were they were the juke jumpers <laughs> a very well-known uh fort worth blues band so they came over and and hung out during their break and listened to us and they bought our they loved it and bought our Stuff our one little 7 <laughs> to double, and the sax player's brother-in-law was the music guy at Texas Monthly. Mm. So he bought this and handed it to him. That guy uh, wrote the piece, and he also managed this band, uh, uh, Joe King Carrasco and the Crowns, who were this they were this popular kind of surf punk tex surf surf punk band out of Austin.
0: I remember. And, I went to SMU in the 80s. so I remember OK, so
1: you, well, you remember Joe King. Yeah. So uh, it, it, his manager was the rock music guy at Texas Monthly. And so we he, we started doing gigs with Joe King. And then uh, one day I just said to him, I said, man, when y'all go to New York next time, we'll open for you. And we had no way to get there. We had mm-hmm. absolutely no way to get there. We were hauling our stuff from here to Fort Worth to Dallas to Austin to Houston in an open trailer. Oh, my goodness. An open wooden trailer pulled by a um, Honda Civic. And and so we had to buy it. Oh, so he called and said, all right, we got a gig. And they paid 200 bucks open for us in New York City. And uh, we took it. And then we bought a horrible van to get there. And then uh, when we were there, because Joe King was sort of uh, becoming a, a thing. Uh, this manager also knew the, the guy, uh, Kurt Loder at Rolling Stone, who uh-huh. did the random random notes. So he sent him the CD, I mean, the, the EP. Kurt Loder liked it. And so before we made that trip, we got mentioned in Rolling Stone. Oh, wow. It's weird. And then when we get there, you know who Lester Bangs was?
0: Uh, rings a Bell, but I'm not remembering. Like
1: the, the rock god song. Oh, that movie, Almost Famous? Uh-huh. That guy was, that guy's god was Lester Bangs. Okay, Lester I got Lester Bangs you. was the, the god of all rock critics worldwide. He happens to just be at that show and right on the front row. So he fell in love with Brave Combo. And then New York City just open to us like just <laughs> it was weird that's Such amazing you. it was amazing it was amazing but I'll tell you what our timing was also good because we were this combination of polka and punk and rock and just because we were playing polka we found that we were the most non unconventional band playing all these punk clubs like, cause we weren't even coming from rock, you know, yeah. we were coming from polka, turning it into rock. And that's just, we didn't realize the enormity of that power. We had no idea, no idea, no idea. <laughs> and we just kept finding that people were attracted to it. And so that's what, that's, I, you know, the only thing that's changed is that, I mean, we were around before the term world music existed. <laughs> right, right. world The term world beat, which referred mainly to reggae, came before world music. And then once the term world music came into being, people like Paul Simon and David Byrne and all these pop stars started incorporating all these ethnic rhythms and stuff. And we were doing the same thing. We, we branched out from polka and just, we play a ton of Latin music. Just, you, you tell me a style. We we play all these styles. Then we started branching out to Greek music and all these Middle Eastern styles. And uh, so now we try to just cover as much as we can. But polka is at the core because polka was the most maligned music. And then, um, and, you know, and, and speaking of David Byrne, Like he was the one pop guy that I felt like I could relate to, you know, I didn't know how to reach him. I just (laughs) I just willed it. And then within a month, he was reaching out to me and then he hired me to do all this work on his movie, True Stories. And so then that just blew my mind. Then we played his wedding.
0: I was going to ask you if that story was true.
1: Oh yeah, it was true. I I remember every minute of it.
0: <laughs> Are you still in touch with him?
1: Uh, not, well, I mean, I know how to reach him. I don't bug him, but right, uh, we they re released two stories like a couple of years ago, uh, before his Broadway thing took off, and uh, he was working on it then. But uh, they re it was the twenty fifth anniversary of that movie, so he had to go on tour with it, sort of, and. So we had dinner in Dallas. There were a bunch of us that worked on the movie. Hey, here's an interesting. Did you see that movie?
0: Yeah, back in the day. It's been a long time since I watched it. So check
1: this out. The woman who produced that movie, Karen Murphy, this was her first movie to produce. Mm -hmm. Guess what her second movie was? Oh, I
0: think I knew this once, but now I can't remember.
1: This is Final Tap. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Then she went on and produced all of. That ensembles movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. Um so, best in show, so, and all know, that. And that was the first time I'd seen her since the movie came out, and she was just amazing to work with. I mean, every all, all those people were. That was just bizarre. It was I spent like almost a year, on and off with them, you know, and it was just great. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't even I don't even know how anybody stumbles into something like that other than how I did.
0: I read you've done some other work, uh, apart from the band and TV shows and so forth, too, over the years. Is that right?
1: Well, the, the band's had a lot of songs in uh, TVs and movies, but I've also done work with a bunch of anime stuff. Hmm. And um, we've been to Japan several times and actually have a... a <laughs> the only time we charted, on actual charts was on Tokyo FM. We had a, a song that was on Tokyo FM, made it to number 80 something. What song Two was weeks. it? <laughs> <laughs> but that was another whole weird, weird thing. Of how all that, I mean, I don't know how long you want to talk, but oh, we the got whole <laughs> Japanese experience had no, there was absolutely no connection to our fame in this country. And how, how what we did in Japan no connection it was because one man who was the editor of the Japanese version of Rolling Stone and it, it was called uh, uh, Music Magazine uh, he would come to the United States and just go to places he liked and buy CDs albums that interest that looked interesting to him and he just happened to pick up one of our albums called Humansville and took it back and then talked to a promoter there who specialized in world music, rock world music promotion to bring us to Japan based on just that. He didn't know anything about us. And then we got to go be, be little stars in Japan, and that's where we did our Christmas album. Oh, that, yeah. That's what we didn't do. We weren't going to do that, and the Japanese record people – we were having a; they were having a party for us before we were going to leave the next day, and then they came up to us, a record company, said we want y'all to do a Christmas album, and we had already done an album in Japanese, in really a, of <laughs> all Japanese music, and we sang in Japanese. We'd already done that. How did you learn and to then, do
0: that? Did you just do it phonetically
1: oh, or something? Mainly phonetically, but we were used to that because we were learning all this Czech music and this.
0: Poem. Oh, I see. I, so we you... were
1: already. And what we found is that when one, one or two generations removed from the kids, um, from the people who know the music, like most of those people don't even know what they're singing. Right. They've learned it phonetically as well. When they were kids, they are they're not really paying that much attention. They sort of know, but we had. To, I mean, we hired people to be sure. We were doing it right. It was hard, and then we toured and had to sing it <laughs> for them, <laughs> which I don't know how well that that went over. But Merry Christmas! <laughs> so I so they asked us to do a Christmas album, and I said, "Well, I didn't know there were any Japanese Christmas songs." And they said, "Oh no, all all American. We we love that stuff here." Huh. And then then we found out about this. Uh, <laughs> Then we did a, a, this Christmas album and released it, and then it did a tour of Japan in December, so we could play our Christmas stuff. And they hauled this big giant Christmas tree around, and we went to all these cities. And we found out there's this whole special thing going on in Japan during Christmas that's it's like more like Walt Disney than it is Jesus. Right. It's, it's more about Santa and Walt Disney and Bambi. Than it is Jesus, but it's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Is that where they eat Kentucky fried chicken on Christmas? Have you ever heard Oh, this? it very
1: well could be. Yeah, that's very, like a well tradition. There, there's a whole different set of traditions when it comes to Christmas, and it's looks to me like it's all glorifying Western culture stuff. Right, and they right. love it. I mean, they love it. They love the Christmas music. I mean, so you so. started
0: to tell me you uh, worked on some anime.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I had experience with sort of um, understanding a little bit lyrically what was kind of going on with the Japanese stuff we were doing. So the people, there was this this company called Funimation in Fort Worth just started uh, uh, licensing all these Japanese animes. And their first one to license was Dragon Ball. Mm. And uh, have you heard of Dragon Ball?
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever watched it, but I'm aware
1: of it, yeah. Well, you've heard that. I mean, Dragon Ball is the beginning of all of this in this country. And so they licensed it all, but nobody in Japan made karaoke tracks of all of the music in these so- in these animes. So all of the music had to be reconstructed, and then nobody—then we had to, like, hire vocalists And uh, I had to. So my job was to produce all this stuff Hmm. and to take the Japanese and take them, then get them translated, and then write new lyrics uh, for all these anime shows. So I've done done a ton of them and worked with an incredible crew who was fully capable of sonically reproducing this music from these Japanese shows. And then I would come in and add a few instruments to it that I could play. But mainly that part was handled by my partner, who was just a genius at it. And then my job was to get the vocalists ready and to get the lyrics together and all that. And so I do have this (laughs) alter ego personality in that world.
0: That's really fascinating.
1: it's really weird. It's really weird. Who
0: knew, you know, like, who knew someone's uh, out there making that stuff? This,
1: that's how all of this is seemed. Yeah. I mean, the, and then that record, that uh, Christmas album, we covered uh, uh, Mitch Miller, that Sing Along with Mitch. Uh-huh. We covered his version of Must Be Santa, because I, I loved that song when I was a kid, and we did it real rocking polka style. And then that caught, uh, of all people, Bob Dylan's here. And hmm. then he put out that Christmas album, and the one song he focused on was an exact copy of our version. Oh, he ripped you of off.
0: Well, you probably don't want to say no, it that, he has, that way. <laughs> he has
1: a he has a reputation for doing that. Yeah, uh, uh, but sorta, of, but not really. Um, we eventually he was acknowledging where it came from, and then all this examination of the two started happening on a larger scale so we were we have fully uh he never he wasn't really ripping us off he just wasn't telling everybody where it came from but once we asked his management company to please tell people that this is our arrangement it's got original stuff written in yeah he hired he hired los lobos accordionist to play all my parts <laughs> you know the only the only video from his album go when we're finished watch Bob Dylan must be Santa every that's all original that's all stuff we wrote yeah for this and then we did this polka arrangement and for some reason he flipped over it and and so over time yeah it's been great I mean but this everything's in just a weird experience Nobody, I didn't know this. I mean, I've had people call me, with the, telling me that I'm at Rounder licensed some of my music for a movie, and and I, someone went to a sneak preview. There's that movie, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, where Jack Black and they live next door to somebody, Envy. Envy. Uh, Is that the name of a movie? I, I don't know. Okay. Think. Anyway. Anyway, Jack Black I, movie. Yes, and and they used my version of, of the Happy Wanderer in it, and I just gave Rounder, they can do it. I mean, I get paid for it, but the only thing I said was I didn't want anything to have to do with any animal abuse or implied animal abuse or animals in distress. I didn't want my music to be behind anything like that. Right. But go for it. And but they didn't even tell me. <laughs> and. Then a friend went to a sneak preview and there it was. So I I don't know. I I tell people all the time, throw it out, throw it out there. Just no expectations at all. Just throw it out.
0: That's really inspiring. It really is the quintessential example of, you know, the cliche is follow your passion and uh, you'll find your audience. I really believe
1: that. Hey, do you ever read this guy named Bob Lifsetz? No, check him out. Okay, he is one of the best uh, writers right now who has his finger on the pulse of what creative people have at their fingertips. You know, the whole um, record industry's collapsed. Like, no one's buying objects anymore except hipster kids or buying albums, vinyl, but yeah, downloads. Uh, Bands have CDs only to sell as souvenirs at shows. T-shirts, merchandise other than music is what's uh, supporting touring bands. Mm T-shirts, not the music, not the stuff they're selling there. It's all the merchandise that goes with it. And even though it looks bleak from that point of view, man, the the things you have at your fingertips to create – that anybody has at their fingertips to make videos, to, to create music, it's there. And um, he yeah, is I, really is,
0: I'm talking to you I from mean, a former storage room that we just uh, tuned in, turned into a podcast studio. The barrier for to entry for lots of sort of stuff like this is super man, low now, in large I, part man, because I'm of technology.
1: You, why not take advantage of that? Yeah. And see where it goes. You never know. And uh, uh, the uh, his thing is, if you make it interesting and it's edgy, it doesn't have to be negatively edgy. Just if it's something in there, if there's a hook, it will get noticed. And just keep doing it, keep doing it, and look for the hook. Look for the hook. Look for the thing that people can't turn away from. Right and. They'll notice.
0: So are um, you guys, um, you're coming to Texarkana next month. Are you on the road a lot these days? How, how often
1: do you not play? Not at all. No? Not at all. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, we're on the, we, will, we will go within seven hours of Denton. Uh-huh. And we will probably stay out no more than one night. Yeah. Because uh, if you're touring and you're doing clubs, you can't afford to tour unless the clubs are full. Yeah, and if the clubs are full, someone's going to get sick. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I that's mean, true. Guaranteed now. Right yeah, now, yeah. still,
1: sadly, we haven't played. We played. <laughs> we have played maybe ten indoor venues in the last two years. Oh wow! And even during the winter, we're playing outdoors. The, the holiday shows, the Christmas shows. We're, we're just we're, we're doing a couple this year, but we can't tour unless we can unless we have dates like connecting dates like we, we can play like let's say if we have two anchor dates or festivals and one is in chicago and one is in dc or something so we need connecting dates from here to chicago from chicago to dc those are probably clubs right. they are clubs and if we make any money those clubs have to be packed and there's no way to do it yeah it well, can't be done so we only go where we can go and Spend one night out at the most and drive home.
0: Yeah, October here is going to be outdoors. Uh, I'm sure yeah, oh, you know. yeah.
1: No, this is perfect. Oh, yeah, man. And, I just wanted to, to tell people in. out there. <laughs> uh, man, I think this is, I'm digging the whole idea of this. And my, I love Texarkana and have, I mean, I love my friends there. And um, anytime I can just, I mean, I really do miss just walking around. And I know that downtown's a different animal than it's ever been. But, you know, I spent, oh, my God, hours and hours and hours and hours every week just roaming downtown, every nook and cranny when I was a kid. Just just what we did. My parents, my father worked at First Baptist Church right there at Fourth and Pine, as I mentioned. Uh So that was right in the middle of it all. I could go any direction, see all kinds of great stuff. I miss that a lot. Well, we're
0: right here at State Line and Broad, so uh, stop by when you're in town. Say howdy.
1: Well, now, I will, and tell me, now, on the line, is that, that's a reference to State Line, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And are you affiliated with uh, the the magazine, Four States Living Magazine, or are you- No, 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 this is a, this
0: this is a Texarkana Gazette podcast.
1: Oh, oh, this is the Gazette podcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. We've been doing it for more than a year now. So uh, that
1: is super cool.
0: Well, I'm going to let you go, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for uh, talking to me today. And we'll look forward to welcoming you. We'll look forward to welcoming you home.
1: Uh, well, man, it's, it's my pleasure and I, I really appreciate it.
0: On the line is a Texarkana Gazette podcast recorded in Star Bear Studio right here in downtown Texarkana, USA. Follow On The Line on Twitter at O-T-L-T-X-K and on our website, texarkanagazette.com slash podcast. To support the show, post a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Carl Richter. And I'd love to hear from you email me at krichter at texarcanogazette.com I'll see you next time on the line